Hello everyone, and welcome to Explore Our Story with Dan Schmoltz. Season 2, Episode 1, Galt, The Early Years, A Closer Look. After a long hiatus, I'm back with the second season of the podcast. New name, same great history. This season, we're going to dive even more into the history of Galt, Preston, Hespler, and Blair, the communities that in 1973 became the city of Cambridge. I've got a lot of great topics lined up this year, along with hopefully some new formats, including interviews with some amazing local history folks. To get started, I'm going to do a few episodes that pick up on the threads of early season one when we looked at the early history of Galt, Preston, and Hespler, with a focus on the early settlement, and look at one of the topics that really fascinates me. What was it like in this area around 200 years ago? What was it like for people to settle here? especially surviving in a not-so-hospitable world. Galt's history spans more than 200 years, so I want to cover as much as I can without cramming it all into one super-long episode. So we will focus here on the uh, difficulty settlers experienced in the early years. Then we can move forward chronologically. I think I will continue with more of Galt and then circle back to Hespler and Preston. Uh, just to kind of keep the flow of, uh, of each story going. So um, last season I tried to balance these stories from, a, from the different areas of Cambridge. This year I'll tell more individual settlement stories in continuous episodes and then move on to the next. If you want more background before finishing this episode, or even just something to listen to before you tackle this one, go back to Season 1, Episode 2, as it's a great companion to this episode as it deals with also the early history of Galt. I've said before that without the rivers, the Grand and the Speed, none of the settlements that now form the city of Cambridge would have prospered into growing city, uh, the growing city we enjoy today. Rivers gave the numerous mills built along them power, be they sawmills for wood, grist mills for grain, and later woolen mills for clothing. If you look at each community, they all saw the genesis of their communities form on the riverbanks. Not only were the rivers important, but the surrounding geology and geography and the other natural resources were as well. And there was a lot of work required to, to harness them. James Young discusses this in his book, Reminiscences of the Early History of Galt and the Settlement of Dumfries. The physical features, and this is a quote, the physical features of the country for many miles around Shades Mills were not very attractive in their uncleared state. The land was thickly timbered, hilly and rugged, in some places stony, and with not a few small lakes and swamps scattered throughout. It was not the place for a man afraid of hard work, and consequently lost many a settler it might otherwise have had. The soil, however, was excellent for the growth of wheat and other cereals, and when once cleared, was not easily surpassed for farming purposes generally. It varies in different localities, from clay to a sandy loam, the depth of which generally from one to three feet, although seven feet have been met within exceptional cases. The, this rests upon a subsoil of gravel and sand. So that's what James Young says. So Young goes on to write, Although it is not generally known, the geological character of Galt in vicinity is somewhat remarkable. Its site was well chosen so far as economic materials for building purposes are concerned. 
Besides having on the east side of the river boulders of granite and other crystalline rocks of every variety and in great profusion, there are also exhaustless quarries of limestone. This rocky formation, whilst forming a basis of the town within the valley, extends for miles up the river, forming bluffs of considerable elevation and beauty. Today, you can still see the evidence of stone in the architecture of the city when you look at uh, Historic City Hall and Galt, uh, just to name one example. Young's book was the main source for this episode. And I have to tell you, his book is probably the best resource for learning about the history, the early history of Galt. It is available online in its entirety if you Google it. Uh, so if you want to check it out, I highly recommend it. Eventually, I would like to do an episode just on the sources I've used because there are so many amazing writers who, without their works to research, this podcast would not have been possible. So thank you. Reading how Young describes the area, it makes me think it must have been so incredibly difficult of a life. Sometimes I try to picture what the area looked like at this time. Nothing but trees and swamps. Young even mentions a story of how difficult it was to move along the river when describing Dixon's time, um, his first time seeing his new lands, and how along the river they were traveling, there was barely enough room for a pony to travel along the trail. To come to such a harsh land, many from Scotland, and not having much in the way of money was incredibly brave. This is true for the European settlers. However, it is worth noting that this land was exceptionally fertile for hunting and fishing, and indigenous peoples had used this area for that purpose for a long time, evidence of their presence, uh, presence dating back centuries before European settlers. Europeans relied more on farming, so this was challenging even though much of the lands uh, were suitable for this purpose. Due to the terrain, clearing room and harvesting the river was key. Going back to how important a role the river played in the development of what became Galt is how the heart of the settlement began. William Dixon and Absalon Shade chose where Mill Creek flows into the Grand River as the point to base their settlement. As we discussed back in Season 1, Galt experienced very slow growth in its early years. Founder William Dixon, a native of Scotland, wanted to attract his fellow Scots to his new settlement. But they were mostly living around York, which is modern Toronto, the Hamilton area, and Kingston. So basically around Lake Ontario. After changing the name, things began to change, as James Young noted in his book, Reminiscences of the Early History of Galt and the Settlement of Dumfries. Quote, from the, about the year 1825, settlers began to arrive more frequently. And before the close of the decade, most of the farms in the immediate neighborhood of Shades Mills were taken up. And not a little uh, land cleared and cultivated. The settlers were almost exclusively Scotch and were very largely from Roxboroughshire and Selkirkshire. This arose chiefly from the exertions made in Scotland by Mr. Dixon to direct the attention of emigrants to his Dumfries lands. Dixon sent paid agents to Scotland to recruit settlers to the area, and in time it worked. In these early years, it was imperative for the settlement to be self-sufficient. That meant producing its own food. Now, the settlement was able to produce enough food and even had an excess of produce. The economy of the settlement was actually quite different to what we have today. Money was extremely scarce, uh, and most business, business was actually conducted using the barter system, 
which involved the direct exchange of goods rather than the use of a form of currency. Young writes that at some point there was um, literally none, like no currency in use. He wrote, battered um, brass buttons passed readily as coppers, and it is said that in a hard pinch, they were occasionally cut off the coat for that purpose. Although money was so scarce, the farmers, fortunately, soon had an abundance to eat, and not a little to uh, barter in exchange for their other wants. This led to shops, especially Shade's prominent red store, having an excess of food. So, a point I'm not going to stop emphasizing is how transportation to and from this area during this time was extremely difficult. As mentioned above, the area was heavily forested and had many swamps. Uh, there were no paved roads yet. Uh, later roads were uh, constructed to Guelph, Waterloo, and Dundas. But in 1816 and the short years after, there was nothing like what we have today. It wasn't until 1837 that the macadamized road to Dundas, which is now the modern uh, Highway 97, leaving uh, Cambridge, was fully constructed. This um, greatly helped the transportation of both people and goods. Before this time, they had to be creative in figuring out how to move goods. Actually, in 1830, Absalon Shade actually um, had barges built called arcs that would ship the food down the river to Dunville and then towed uh, through the newly constructed Welland Canal and then taken to market. It was a short-lived experiment, though, as the barges only lasted about three years and they had numerous difficulties and were then uh, abandoned in 1833. So they used the river to move food, and as more and more was produced, the need for a better system of moving goods became more acute. Um, the most logical place to move uh, the goods uh, to market was east towards Dundas. Um, and of course, the road, if you want to call it that, at that time was little more than a, a, a dirt road, so not too easy to get around. So to give you a better idea, let's again use James Young's words as he writes about traveling east from Galt to Dundas. Between the two points was a literal slot of dust pond in the shape of the far-famed um, Beverly Swamp, whose uh, bottomless mud holes and an almost impassable uh, corduroys were the terror of travelers for many a year thereafter. This benighted region had uh, a most unenviable reputation. It blocked the way between the head of navigation at Dundas and Hamilton, and the fertile lands of Dumfries and Waterloo. It could not be avoided, uh, therefore, and the blazed road through its long, desolate morasses was seldom passed without accidents and delays innumerable. A dozen teams all stuck, to use the expressive term of the period, within a few miles of each other, with no uncommon occurrence, and only the uh, marines could have uh, could believe the stories of the size and the depth of the mud holes which had been handed down to us. Once upon a time, a reckless rider attempted, contrary to advice, to pass through on horseback in the middle of the spring floods. A few hours afterwards, a pedestrian found what at first glance he took to be a blue scotch bonnet floating in the middle of a treacherous duking pool. On attempting to recover the bonnet, he was horrified to find it covered the head of, a rec of the reckless rider, who had plunged into the fatal morass, and astride of his horse had gradually sunk down until arms, necks, mouth, and eyes had been engulfed in the oozy, treacherous, almost fathomless abyss. Uh, 
Before assistance could be obtained, horse and rider had entirely disappeared. How far this and similar stories can be relied upon, the reader can judge for himself. But certain it is that the passage through the Beverly Swamp was greatly and justly dreaded. These feelings were increased by the current rumors of an old peddler and even of other benighted travelers who had undertaken to pass through the swamp after dark, having mysteriously disappeared. These rumors became crimes of blood to the active imagination of those days, and so widespread and strong had they become that Mr. Alexander Buchanan, a man certainly not deficient in courage, came from New York State in 1819. He started through the wild and trackless woods after dark to his father's clearance near Branchton. Rather than linger in the Beverly Swamp with its dismal um, surroundings and evil reputation. Now the residents of the new settlement relied on farming for much of their food and were doing quite well. However, the Grand River was also a fertile source of fish such as uh, trout and in the area they also had game to hunt. Unfortunately, humans weren't the only ones doing the hunting as the area had a lot of bears and wolves as well. So now we're looking at this point to be at about 1834, and the settlement of Galt was now growing. Not by leaps and bounds, it was still quite small, but the future looked up. It had a nice economy running, it no longer relied on the barter system. A few years previous, John Galt, the Canada Company uh, commissioner and founder of Galt, had visited, and yes, that's when the name had changed to Shades Mills, but it had also led to a post office being built and the decision to build the Galt to Guelph Road, which is now Highway 24. This greatly increased the supply of goods coming to and from Galt. Its construction had also employed a number of the residents of the area. It was a major turning point in the development of the area. Add in the already mentioned macadamized road in 1837, and Galt was uh, connected. This little village was thriving, according to Professor Ken McLaughlin in his book, Cambridge, The Making of a Canadian City. He writes that much of the wheat grown in the Canada Company lands as far west as Stratford was being grown in Galt. A town hall was in operation, along with a market in what is now Queen Square. A number of churches had been built, serving a number of denominations. Life was good and getting better for Galt. However, the progress would be shattered by an event that could have destroyed the little village of Galt. That event was the outbreak of the deadly, uh, deadly cholera uh, disease. As James Young put it, such were the ravages of the cholera in 1834 in Galt and vicinity. Its future had never previously looked more hopeful. Within days, it was nearly decimated. So that's all we're going to do for this week. Uh, we're going to try and end it on uh, kind of a little... Uh, cliffhanger uh, so um, please give uh, explore our story a follow on social media if you can including facebook and instagram and be sure to download it on your favorite podcast app like spotify and apple podcasts if you have any feedback questions or want to contact me try those outlets along with explore our story podcast at gmail.com join me next time as we continue to you guess it Explore our story.